Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Trey Campbell, Senior Vice President, Fisher, and John Harden, Chief Technology Officer, Fisher, and Eric Williams, Senior Vice President, Fisher, discuss machine learning in CRE, moving beyond data mapping. Welcome everyone to the Innovation Learning Theater sponsored by Join Digital for machine learning and CRE moving beyond data mapping presented by Fisher. Thank you for that, Rachel. Today we're going to look at artificial intelligence, understanding what it is, its applications in commercial real estate, as well as the future applications we're looking at today. So I'm Eric Williams. I'm joined by John Harden, Trey Campbell as well. We're with Fisher. Before we talk about artificial intelligence, let's take a look back to see what we thought it was going to be. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Do you wish further information on Silicon Valley? Hell no. I want to know who you are and how you're listening in. There's no reason for increased volume. I am scanning your interrogatives quite satisfactorily. I am the voice of Night Industry 2000's microprocessor, K-I-T-T for easy reference. Shall we play a game? Oh. <laughs> I think I missed them. Yeah, weird, isn't it? Yeah. Love to. How about global thermonuclear war? Wouldn't you prefer a good game of chess? Please return to your home. A curfew is in effect. Please return to your homes. A curfew is in effect. Okay, so we haven't quite created artificial robots that are trying to kill everybody. So that's a good thing. But what are companies using it for today? So the main branch of artificial intelligence we're going to talk about today is called machine learning. It's essentially uh, a way for computers to over time run and learn more about what it's trying to solve in terms of the problem. So before we talk about that, let's take a look at how Fisher got to where it is today. In 1985, Fisher was started as a tenant rep firm in Dallas, Texas. And from that, we uh, in, uh, sorry about that. In 1986, our CEO walked into a client's office and saw a portfolio, and it's managed in a binder. There's post-it notes sticking out of it. They're laid on critical date reminders. And because of that, he developed our first technology called ManagePath. Based on that, it was essentially a spreadsheet of lease details. That's evolved over the last couple of months to include details about critical dates, documents, notes, reminders, also has information related to lease accounting and other details. That's shifted to Visual Manager. 2010, we started developing our dashboard technology. So initially, we were talking with our clients to say, how can we present to your executives? Look at graphs, charts, dashboards, informational details. That's evolved based on our client feedback. So they asked us questions saying, how can we more efficiently utilize our space? Where are their savings opportunities? And where is our future growth coming from? Based on that, we used predictive learning and applied it to our client's portfolio within Visual Manager to further look at that information. 
going to pass it off to Trey to talk about the difference in traditional portfolio management and how real estate technology has evolved over time. Thank you. So before we can talk about how we've applied AI to solve our clients' problems, we need to first understand the problems they had to solve to get there. So I'm going to walk through four phases, the first being the reactive phase, because traditional portfolio management was much more reactive rather than, than being proactive, because whether it's due to inaccurate or incomplete data um, or, or old legacy systems that, that didn't provide the reporting needed uh, necessary to, to be aware of the upcoming activity in the portfolio and plan for it. So... Um, Thankfully, the innovation that's occurred in the last 10 to 15 years uh, has allowed for companies to move into being more proactive because data can, can now be maintained easier and provide the reporting necessary to be aware of that activity uh, going forward and plan for it. Um, the challenge, though, then became uh, you have all this data, you have all this great data in, in all these different systems. And so, for example, you may have data for lease administration, logistics, operations, HR, work orders, demographics, so on and so forth. And so the question is, how do you aggregate all that data into one place? At Fisher, we developed Visual Manager as a platform that's data agnostic and, and it can aggregate all that data from those multiple sources into one place. Um, in addition, we can also gather data from third-party third party or external sources such as Google, Esri, um, also labor statistics to name a few. And that data is maintained in our system through either APIs, um, providing a live view of the data, or if it's data that's not um, you know, changing very much, such as, say, labor statistics, that data can be refreshed in our site using Excel files on, say, a monthly or quarterly basis depending on the data source. Um, this now moves us into the strategic phase because once that data is all in one place, we can then work with it and we can create a variety of metrics uh, and then trend those metrics over uh, any given time frame and establish workflows that are automatically kicked off whenever those uh, metrics exceed various thresholds. And then finally, we're in the predictive phase. Um, where in recent years we've developed advanced algorithms that can take in a, a massive amount of variables and factor them into scenarios that can be processed over a much faster time frame than would otherwise be possible uh, through ordinary human means. And now this gets into the hard part, so I've got to turn it over to our chief technology officer, John Harden. So first I want to talk about what machine learning is and what it isn't. Machine learning is a really popular buzzword that's thrown around in a lot of technology circles, and it's often used to describe things that aren't actually machine learning. Just because you have uh, fancy graphs with trend lines that look like they're predicting the future doesn't mean you're actually using machine learning. In reality, machine learning is using algorithms and statistics to learn from previous data and make predictions about the future and then act on those predictions. Again, it's not BI, and it's certainly not blockchain, which is perhaps the only other more popular buzzword in technology circles today. Outside of real estate, there have been a lot of advances made recently in machine learning and in artificial intelligence. Things like Alexa from Amazon and Tesla's Autopilot have made people really comfortable with the concept of machine learning and AI in their everyday life. And companies like Google and Amazon have released libraries such as TensorFlow that allow developers to more easily integrate machine learning into their software without having to reinvent the wheel every time. So this leads us to a lot of opportunities for using machine learning in real estate. 
at Fisher, we're primarily focused on tenant rep, so we don't work with prop tech or uh, you know things for landlords. But within the uh, tenant rep side, we see a lot of potential opportunities. There are optimizations for uh, looking at logistics, uh, consolidation and portfolio optimization, and even using uh, neural networks to do lease abstraction. One of the most prob uh, common problem types that we look at is logistics optimization. So it's an area where we can leverage the power of AI to look at very complex dependent problems. In uh, logistics, you, know, you have real estate, you have transportation, you have operations. And if you try to use traditional software development to solve that problem, it can become a wild goose chase. You can make one change to improve something with space, and then that can make transportation worse, and it becomes a big mess. So we can use a genetic algorithm to represent a logistics network as a directed graph where we have locations as nodes and transportation as edges. And we can allow a machine learning model to make small randomized changes to that model and actually evolve a more efficient network over time. Another common problem that we look at is portfolio optimization and consolidation. And uh, we're able to uh, predict the future performance of locations using multivariate regression, where we can look at different potential predictive factors and then do a regression model to ultimately decide whether a building should be kept or whether it should be consolidated in the future. Now, one thing is that you can have all these sophisticated models, but if you put bad data into those models, ultimately you're going to get bad results out. And so at Fisher, we've spent a huge amount of time developing technology within our visual manager platform to easily allow clients to find, cleanse, and then normalize their data so that when it goes into our models, they get predictive, meaningful information out of it. Next, we're going to talk about a couple of case studies where we've actually used the technology that I just briefly described to solve problems for clients and bring meaningful portfolio improvements. So everyone's been familiar with all the disruption that's occurred uh, in the retail industry due to the Amazon effect, right? Um, in addition, there's been a lot of disruption in bran bank branches as well, and in, in retail banks due to mobile banking. And I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit. I want to uh, raise your hand if you've been to your local bank, um, say in the last 30 days. I'm just curious. Okay, that's kind of that's what we thought. Mark, Mark raised his hand back there. Mark, you're invalidating our case study over here. <laughs> um, so for this first case study, I want to talk about how one of the largest commercial banks uh, engaged us and, and uh, asked us to evaluate a variety of factors uh, across multiple data sources in order to come up with an optimization and consolidation plan. And one of the first hurdles that we had to, to get over was... Uh, again, all that data across multiple sources, we had to identify the, the common identifiers or the joins in order to get all that data aggregated into one, one spot uh, before we could go into the predictive phase. And again, this gets into the hard part. And John, uh, save me. <laughs> so initially, the client tried to solve this problem themselves using traditional portfolio analysis. And it didn't work because there were simply too many factors to look at, and it was very hard to figure out what would actually be truly predictive about future branch behavior. So they tried to solve this by uh, they tried to solve this by building very complex and massive Excel spreadsheets that took two full-time employees a quarter to compile. And ultimately, by the time they compiled these and were able to build scorecards to look at branch performance, the data was already useless because it was stale. It took them an entire quarter, and they basically had to start all over again. So we tried to solve this problem by bringing multivariate regression into it, which is something that I mentioned earlier. 
we were able to leverage Visual Manager's demographics engine and pull predictive demographics from ArcGIS's uh, Esri platform. And uh, we were also able to combine financial predictive metrics along with those demographics. We created a fixed radius around every property, a couple square miles, and we used that to aggregate the demographics such that everything was normalized going into the model. Ultimately, this allowed us to build predictions that would calculate bank branch performance 5, 10, and 20 years into the future. Now, one of the challenges in building this model was finding factors that were actually correlative. You probably heard the uh, phrase, correlation is not causation. So we found lots of factors were potentially correlative, but we ultimately had to look at their correlation score to determine which factors were potentially causal and could actually produce meaningful information. It's very important when you're doing regression to make sure that you're not chasing red herrings by going after uh, factors that don't have a high enough correlation score. We were able to do this, and we were able to produce fascinating, meaningful results for the client to use to make decisions about which bank branches to consolidate. And as an example of, of one of the outputs we were able to get uh, is this graph here where we took one of the relevant demographic variables and plotted it against the profit contribution of each site, and each site's represented as a bubble that is sized by total deposits. So after applying a quadrant to it, uh, what you'll see is we, we could identify in the upper right the, the, the bank branches that are doing well and are predicted to continue doing well versus in the lower left-hand corner are the ones that aren't doing so well and probably aren't going to improve from there. So we identified those as ones to either close or possibly consolidate into another existing operation. Thanks, Trey. So the next case study we're going to talk about relates to distribution. One of our clients had a large distribution network plants, warehouses, and sales locations. These were all connected by over 100,000 different trucking routes. So, sorry. Uh, they were trying to look at changes to their network, modifying locations, consolidating facilities, disposing of a warehouse. What was that change going to make in terms of their efficiency and their overall costs? So with that, I'm going to pass it to John to describe how we solved that problem. This was another problem where the client initially tried to solve it themselves without any kind of machine learning or advanced algorithms. They tried to create a uh, deterministic model, which means a model that would calculate to the dollar what the perfect logistics network would be. Ultimately, this was uh, a bad idea for a couple reasons. First of all, if it worked, it would create a brand new logistics network, so they'd have to get rid of all of their existing facilities, all of their existing truck routes, and basically start all over, which probably wasn't practical. And second, uh, didn't work because they uh, spent two years trying to build this algorithm. It ran for a week and then crashed and didn't actually produce any results. So ultimately, we were able to come in and offer a different solution. We were able to use a genetic algorithm, which I talked about earlier, which allowed our model to represent their logistics network as a directed, uh, directed graph where uh, warehouses, plants, and uh, sales locations were nodes, and then truck routes were edges on the graph. And our model made small changes by either consolidating warehouses or uh, combining warehouses and then recalculating all of the truck routes uh, associated with making that change. It then was able to decide, did I make the logistics network better or did I make it worse? If it made it better, we keep the change and we repeat that process. And uh, if we made it worse, we throw it away and try again. And we repeated that process hundreds of millions of times and were able to literally evolve a more efficient logistics network. 
We also allowed for a certain level of human input because ultimately we wanted the results that come from the model to be something that the client could act on. So the client as well as uh, Fisher portfolio managers were able to provide inputs on realistic market conditions, potential targets uh, as part of their site selection process, and other inputs such that the model produced uh, actionable items. So ultimately, our model was able to find millions of dollars of real savings. Yeah, we determined that it was better for them to have larger central warehouses due to the seasonality of their business. Because of that, they were able to reduce their warehouse footprint by up to 25%. So these are just a couple examples of artificial intelligence that people are using real estate today. Uh, other ones include convolutional neural networks. I said that right. Uh, for uh, lease abstraction and automation of scanning leases, looking into the efficiency of hoteling, and does that improve workplace efficiency? Does it increase workplace, uh, employee happiness? And then finally, we're also looking into the optimization of meeting rooms and spaces. So in summary, there's four different phases that companies can use to apply real estate technology. Reactive, proactive, strategic, and predictive. With the most recent lease accounting changes, we think most people have at least gone to being from reactive to proactive with all the added clarity on their balance sheet. From that, we do think companies are going to start to shift to be more strategic and more predictive here sooner than you think. So you definitely should have a plan in place for how you're going to start utilizing these new technologies. So uh, with that, thank, everyone for, thank you everyone for attending. Uh, I'd like to open it up for any questions. How big is your knowledge management uh, database uh, for building those algorithms or teaching your machine? Yeah, let me make sure I understood that. So you asked uh, how big our, our knowledge base is for that. So it, it depends on the client. We source information uh, uh, with the client and kind of help find information that's uh, actually relevant to them. Our demographics knowledge base has thousands of potential demographics that we can pull from, some future predictive and some not. But uh, we kind of use that as a source of truth for the regression analysis that we do. But for something like the genetic algorithm that we looked at, that was all using data specific to that client. And they happen to have data every day for every truck route going back a year. And so we were able to use that as a learning base for the model. Sorry, I, I can't. Okay. okay. Do you have uh, a client so who allowing their data to put it into your database so that you can grow? That way, your algorithms will be more refined. Yeah, that's a, a great question. So we do in certain cases. We have clients that allow us to use cleanse data that's not actually specific to their business, but that does allow us to uh, get you know actual uh, market metrics for uh, certain real estate factors. So that your your technology that you have, is that running on like a tableau or how is that aggregated? And then I have one more question. Yeah. Uh uh, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, so uh, our data is actually running on a proprietary BI platform that we built. So it doesn't use Tableau or anything like that. Um, we are hosted on the AWS cloud, but our actual data model and all of our data aggregation technology is all proprietary to Fisher. And then, um, so our, can a client use a portion of the technology? So like, let's say you specifically are interested in the predictive analytics side. Could you just purchase that model 
as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. So our uh, visual manager technology was designed to be platform agnostic, so it can sit over any kind of data warehouse and ingest the data and flow that into our predictive models. Um, after you uh, went through your two case studies, you quickly said hoteling, but I was curious if you could expand on how uh, machine learning and AI could influence hoteling decisions. Yeah, so uh, with hoteling specifically, we look at that's more badge swipe information and who's in what spaces and how efficient they're being utilized. And also, I think an important part about is making sure people actually come in if you do have hoteling. Um, so it's, it's just how full the occupancy of the locations are. Also, you know, you can also, if there are any production metrics, you could tr t track that back to how efficient that's actually being utilized once you switch over to it. It's curious, are we at a point now for machine learning where the, the machines are actually learning from other data inputs? For instance, uh, portfolio analysis or optimization where you've got a tool that will do that. Are we at a place now where we could use occupancy sensors to get real-time data that feeds into the tools so that the tool learns real-time what's happening and then make adjustments? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's actually been a lot of advancement over the past couple of years in uh, data ingestion technology. So AWS has platforms that can stream Internet of Things information like what you're talking about from real-time sensors into a model and allow the model to learn from it. So that's a place where a convolutional neural network would come into play, where you're essentially continually expanding the model based on the information that's coming in. And so... Um, not to go too in the weeds, but there's a, a two different kinds of machine learning. There's unsupervised learning and there's supervised learning. And most of what we talked about today was supervised learning. But what you brought up is an example of unsupervised learning, which is uh, absolutely something that we're working on and that lots of other people across the industry, not just in real estate, are working on. Can you talk more about abstraction, least abstraction? Yeah, absolutely. So that's another thing where uh, there's a combination of convolutional neural nets that are being used as well as uh, natural language processing and uh, other things. And basically, the idea is to be able to find key phrases uh, within leases and identify key metrics. So pulling out, you know, square footage and lease terms and all of that kind of stuff. There's a couple companies that are working with uh, working on that, but we actually have a solution in production right now for one of our clients uh, for uh, their uh, their Mexico portfolio is uh, is uh, using the software. And so uh, it learns over time. And uh, there needs to be, right now, there's a certain level of human supervision that needs to happen to make sure that the right data is being pulled out of leases. But uh, it's something that's rapidly evolved over the past couple of years to become much more reliable. And so as more information and as, as there's a bigger uh, you know, sample size in the database of leases that have already been abstracted, that technology will get better. The issue is that for something like a, uh, you know, a neural net to work well, we need, we need you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of samples in our knowledge base to train the algorithm. And most companies, when they're abstracting leases, they might have you know, a couple hundred to a couple thousand. And so it takes a long time to build up a proper training set to be able to do that for such a complex problem. But it's absolutely something I think over the next couple of years you'll see become much more widespread.
Is there a way to use this same type of technology to actually optimize the space once you're in the space? And I'm talking about uh, planning for employee attraction, retention, expansion, all of those things that we track once you're actually in the space. And so I just would like to know how that might apply as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of the same uh, algorithms that we talked about that are applied to, uh, you know, to potentially consolidating a portfolio at the property level can be used to optimize the actual space. And so there's a little bit of a GIS component where you're looking at the physical dimensions of the space and kind of understanding how that space is utilized and how it's mapped out. But yeah, that's absolutely something that we can do. We're being cut off for time. So uh, if you have additional questions, feel free to stop by our booth or feel free to find us here. But uh, think we got to go. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.